Today's show is sponsored by Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash baldmove and using the promo code baldmove. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season six, episode three, entitled Oathbreaker. I think I've come to the conclusion that this is an ironic name. I don't know. I got some feedback that identifies all kinds of Oathbreakers. Okay. Broken oaths are in the eyes of the beholders. Right. Uh, I, I think the most prominent one, the one that we're all supposed to be thinking about, though, seems like Jon Snow. Yeah. And I think it's ironically named because he's not actually an Oathbreaker, uh, even though mo- what he's doing would make any other Lord Commander of the Night's Watch an Oathbreaker. Yeah. That's how I read it anyway. I, I, I tend to broadly agree with you. I think that's the, it's, if, if you want to dig deeper and find more, well, that's what we're here for. Right. But, but I think it's also a pretty plain reading of, I don't know if it's ironic or if they're actually teasing a bigger conflict to come. Um, those things are all on the table, but, uh, yeah. Sure. Okay. Any additional thoughts or like any shifts of opinion after you watched it a couple more times or again? No, no. I, I think my, I'm sticking with my, you know, first opinion on it. There were some scenes that I really liked some scenes that made the episode and then some scenes that were just okay, or maybe not even great i think this episode suffered a lot more than many in recent memory for having the just like okay you get 10 10 minutes rule you know like it's it, it, story yeah like we only have time to barely and so it felt like maybe that scene with Tyrion wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't like our impatience to see that story develop more mm-hmm. um and also there's a couple of good uh thoughts and feedback about what that scene was trying to um impress upon us which i kind of like made me I, it's, it's not like i think the scene is suddenly artful or well done but maybe i see what they were trying to go go for yeah more. yeah i have a slightly changed opinion on that scene in particular but uh for the most part no nah, hasn't really changed right on uh, what do you want to talk about before we get to... Right before we get to recap. the main thing, I just want to real briefly mention that we threw out as a lark these Lannister sun, dead Lannister sunglasses, the stones on your eyes, sun, novelty sunglasses, uh, thinking nothing would come of them. We sold out the inventory in like three hours. So there's a lot of people that went, and when our shopping cart sells out, it removes it from the inventory so you couldn't even see it. Uh, you know, response was successful enough that we decided to do another run at them. Um, these, if, if you order them today, go to baldmove.com slash shop, check them out. Uh, if you want to order them, it's going to be like four to six week delivery because we actually have to have these manufactured. Uh, the ones that got the early orders will probably get out next week, but, um, just want to let you know if you want to check out the dead Lannister sunglasses and cosplay as a dead Lannister or for whatever reason, uh, have them. It's at baldmove.com slash shop. All right. Let's get into the recap. We start with uh, Davos and Melisandre seeing John awake, and he's kind of freaking out. They're kind of freaking out. Everybody doesn't know what to make of this, mm-hmm. this scenario here. Uh, Melisandre wants to know what Jon Snow saw on the other side. He says, nothing, nothing. I saw Knows nothing. Knows nothing. He sees nothing. 
Hey, what good are you? <laughs> uh, then Davos tells John to use this second chance he's got to clean up as much shit as he can in Westeros. Yep. Uh, and he starts, well... Jon Snow, well, the stall shoveler. <laughs> he, he goes out of the courtyard and... You know, Tormund tells him he's got a tiny Johnson. Uh, Ed questions whether he's still himself. Like, people are just being kind of shitty to a guy who just came back from death. I don't know. <laughs> they got the, they all have a special relationship. Um, what? So, I thought it was interesting how uh, Mel is anxious to hear what John saw. Right. And he says nothing, which also echoes what uh, Beric Dondaria, uh, Dondarian uh, told her in when she asked him the same question. He said, I just I saw nothing. My lady is darkness. Hmm. Um, and it also on second watch made a little bit more sense about why she was a little bit easily cowed or like dismissed, because I feel like that still took the wind out of her sails that. Okay, well, you kind of sort of were brought back to life by my intervention, but it would be like if, uh, you know, you raised the dead Christian mythos style and asked the person what they saw, and they're like, eh, nothing. Like, there's no heaven, there's no there's no bright lights. I thought that maybe that that's still so far from what she perceives as her the realities of her faith that it's still like, okay, I'm glad I can do something, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. What do you think? Right. Yeah. And it, I don't know what she expected him to say. Like, what, does she have something in mind that she I thought? I was standing beside the Lord of Light, and he was wreathed in flames. It's right. so beautiful. I mean, I don't know. And he said, "It's you aren't supposed to be here. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Your time is not done. <laughs> uh, Go back. You, you must become the poop smith of Westeros, Jon Snow. <laughs> so I, I don't know what she actually wanted there, but I feel like, Hearing that there's nothing shouldn't really deter her in her beliefs at this point, right? Hmm. Clearly what she did worked. Uh, something brought Jon Snow back. So there's clearly not nothing out there, even if he didn't see anything in death. Yeah. But, I, that, I mean, the, the the zeal of the true believer, it's not like, whatever, man. Like, I can fit any... It's It's more of, like, a specific belief, and you have to believe that or else... Especially if you've been consigning children to the fires... If you've been trying to murder right. other young men, um, I don't know. I feel like that might not be enough for her. I I don't know exactly where they're going with her. Um, is her story over? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, she clearly is pursuing this. I mean, she says, look, yeah. Stannis wasn't this prince that I saw, but someone has to be. Sure. And so she's, you know, groveling before John here. Uh, was she trying to cheat, like get some, some inside info into who that, like, I feel like that, she was wanting to go down this path of like, oh, maybe you're the prince that was promised. And Davos right. seemed like he shut that down pretty quick, like almost like, oh, okay, whatever, get out of here, crazy lady. Right? He's more like, I don't want to hear this shit. Go, yeah. get, I got actual business to talk to John about. I got something useful to say. Right. Uh, so we go over to Sam McGilly and the baby who are sailing somewhere. We don't know. We think we know where at the beginning of this scene, but it turns out we don't. Uh, Sam is fighting seasickness, and he's losing. He's losing big. Seasickness is the fucking worst, by the way. Yeah, I've I've had the displeasure of being seasick uh, once or twice before, and it's it's bad. I because you can't get away from it. 
Yeah, and I remember um, the first time uh, there was like half of us seasick and half of us wasn't, and the captain of the boat was like encouraging us all just to throw up and get it over with. So right, uh, and I I I hate throwing up. It's like the worst. My body for some reason fights it like it's a battle that it doesn't want to lose. Uh-huh. Um, and one of my compa- companions decided to go ahead and chum up the water. And I asked him, I'm like, hey, man, do you feel better? And he's like, no. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Going to just stare at the horizon and try not to, to, to hurl. Wow. Uh, and being down, like, in the hold where you can't, because that's, like, you know, yeah. your inner ear telling you one thing and your brain and your eyes telling the other. I, I can't even imagine being in the bowels of a boat not being able to see out. It's just like, oh, yikes. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, I haven't, haven't really been seasick, so... No, but uh, he he eventually tells Gilly, look, I'm not dropping you off at the Citadel or Old Town. You can't stay there. Instead, he's dropping her off uh, with the baby at his parents' house in Horn Hill. Is that the name of this place? Yeah, it's the name of his father's keep. Okay. Uh, she's not super happy that they're splitting up, but she kind of comes around when Sam levels with her and says, I'm just trying to keep you guys safe. Yeah. Um. I thought that was I I like this scene because she's right to be hurt that he is going back on the literal word uh, that uh-huh. he gave her, but also she's reasonable enough to see that uh, he just wants him to be safe, right? And uh, he's got no godly power; he has no benefactors or powerful people looking after him at the Citadel, so mm-hmm. he can't do the. Well, yeah, this is a men's only institution, but you know, I know Jon Snow. Right. I, I liked it. I, I felt like a very a very reasonable, healthy relationship going on here. Yeah, a lot of people I saw didn't like this scene. They think it's boring. They think it's pointless. Uh, I think it's necessary. I think at some point you have to come around and show man. If you think where he's dropping off, because if he arrives sure. in the Citadel and just no Gilly, no baby, yeah, we're all like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, man? I mean that's if you. Plus, it's like if you think it's boring, just the concept of Sam, this bookish nerd who's found out so much with almost no help going to the archive of all knowledge in Westeros. Like, I don't know what to say to you. And you're right. If they'd have just showed him like, you know, Oh yeah, I dropped off my kid and baby at the house. And you know, maybe I just, there's no way they could have won in that situation. So, yeah, I I mean, I'm mostly with you. I think people are just tired of Sam wants to protect his family. Shit. Over and over and over. Like, it's his theme. We get it. But the thing that's different is I feel like um, every time we come back and visit these two, they're more of a, you know, this unconventional nuclear family. Right. You know, it's like there was some resistance to that. And now that, uh, you know, they're it's it's even more like proclaiming that they're just essentially husband and wife with this adopted baby. Uh, by the mm-hmm. way, kind of surprised that uh, the seed of Craster is a cute baby. Okay. Now, Gilly's, you know, on the homely side, and Craster's just, you, you, he's Craster, crusty old Craster. Yep. Pretty good-looking, blonde, uh, you know, blue-eyed uh, baby boy. Right. So just, just give him a few years. He'll... The seed the seed is not so strong. It's... <laughs> uh, I'm ready to move on. Brandon Treeman are working around, uh, working around time, actually. They're watching Ned and Helen Reed kill Sir Arthur Dane. Uh, in front of this big, uh, big ass tower, Ned heads off toward the tower, and Bran calls after him. And he seems to hear Bran, like after this, after this fight goes on, seems to hear him. But then Mister Roots pulls him out of the vision, yep. and Bran complains once again about not being able to stay. Yep. And the old tree guy tells him, "You have to, you have a lot to learn before you leave." 
yes. essentially. You have a, a lot. You have everything. Everything. You're going to be the opposite of Jon Snow. Right. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, there is. Yeah. Where do you want to start? I don't know, man. Badass fight scene. I enjoyed it. Then you know what? I thought, even though I wish they'd left the more you know colorful twirling of the swords out, I do admire the way they staged this fight because... yes. Uh, you know, the most important thing is when you're fighting one guy versus a bunch is you don't cheat. You don't do the old 80s ninja movie where the white ninja squares off against 50 black ninjas that, uh, I'm talking uniforms, not racial. Right. Uh, right. And, and they oblige him by just one at a time attacking, never right. pressing the advantage. Here I felt like it was all about uh, Dane's footwork and he's just desperately trying to keep the fight in front of him. Yep. Successfully. Because yep. they're all attacking him simultaneously and, and trying to get their licks in where they can. They are, yeah. And he's using both his, his ability with his swords and, like you said, his maneuvering. Yes. Just, just like the way he kind of pushes out of that circle yeah. and gets them all to, to his front where he can fight them, I thought was really good. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm with you. It never felt like they were cheating on yeah. this fight. Yeah, and, you know, again... And I don't know why they did the twirls because the twirls were just flourishes. It, it to me, it detracted from the otherwise awesomeness of the fight. Um, I also liked how Howland Reed listened to Bald Move Number Two, which is always play dead. Right. Uh, you know, if, if he had been uh, on his hands and knees scabbing to his sword, uh, he might have gotten killed and not been able to stab Sir Arthur Dane in the back. <laughs> yep. Uh, also, I thought that was interesting. What what was your read of Ned killing Dane at the end? Ned he, doesn't kill him. Well, he does. He's the one that kill that makes the the killing stroke. It, really, really, you're gonna give him the kill? All right, I give the kill to Howland Reed. Frankly, no, uh, I'm saying it's a fact that he was still. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have died, but it's almost right. like a death. I. Okay, you're you're, you're not right. playing along, so let me steer. You're right, the death stroke, fine. And there's almost like a desperation in Ned's, like, actions. Like, he's looking at Dane, he's looking at Howland Reed, and he's like, shit, do you think that he was trying to cover, like, Howland Reed's honor, his own honor, that it's so un-Stark-like to knife someone in the back that he's like, right. okay, so when we later tell this story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's one of those guys like that, that kid had a real gun, and he was reaching for his waistband, and we were justified right. in doing this. I there's some clearly something because uh, you know Bran was blown away that his dad would be a party of this. Yeah, that the legend has it that you know Ned just squared off against the greatest swordsman in the Seven Kingdoms and beat him straight up. Right, and that's what his dad has told him a thousand times, apparently. Or some he's I don't know that it's, he's heard the story yeah, a thousand times because I also feel like it's unned like for him to boast, especially. The, as we see how it actually went down. Right. Uh, uh, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and they said as much in the, the after, not after the thrones, but the thing that the double Ds do yeah, where the they insider. get interviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, inside the thrones. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They've got so many different... I thought what they said was oddly unsatisfying. Like, it's they, they said a lot, but it wasn't illuminating because I don't... You know, it's not like Ned stabbed the guy in the back. I felt like the point was made that Ned probably would have died there. Had it not been right. for his less chivalrous friend, certainly. Yeah. And why would Ned lie about that, or lie uh, uh, allow a lie to be spread? Is it to protect Howland? I that, there's something. There's more to this story. Obviously, you hear a woman scream in yeah. the tower, and they go off. Everyone goes off to investigate it. You know, the fact that Ned apparently heard Bran cry out. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of 
crazy shit to talk about and speculate, probably in the spoiler edition. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've Friday. got a lot of other stuff to to wonder about here. Like, if it, it appears to me that Bran is just buying into this whole hog, sure. right? Like, you're showing me actual, factual events from the past. Uh, I don't know why Bran assumes that, because certainly it's within everyone's uh, bag of tricks here to deceive and to... Yeah. to frame things in a light that makes it look more favorable for them. Why would Bran believe that this old tree guy isn't showing him false uh, visions or just manipulating him to try to get him to do the thing he wants Cause to he's, do? Because he's never seen Star Wars, and he's not he's unfamiliar with Obi-Wan Kenobi's from a certain point of view bullshit. He's, <laughs> right. <laughs> he's right. not savvy enough to know that this old man could be telling him a self-serving version of of, and and that's the thing. I like, guess why are we as viewers taking it for granted? Because Bran is. I don't know. I don't know that all viewers are. Like okay. I'm. In fact, some things that he said here, like I've been stuck here for a thousand years. I've been waiting for you. Even the fact that you can leave. Like I'm really wondering what kind of Obi Wan Kenobi type bullshit is going on here. Because it's one of those situations where. You know, it's, I always speculate about the faceless men. Like, Arya's just going to become a faceless man and then kill whoever they want him, her to kill? Right. Or is she going to f- be like, fuck this, I'm out? If, if this, like, oh, you're f- is this going to be something where Bran learns everything and now the old man's like, you're free to go, but Bran realizes that that knowing what he knows now, if he left, it would be an abandoning of, like, all hope in the world that he has to plug himself. Like, I just wonder if there aren't yeah. some real handcuffs being put on these characters right? by the choices they're making, even as the people advising them are telling them, that, no, everything's cool. Yeah. So it could be. Not every show watcher is, is thinking that. I'm certainly, I'm certainly looking for what's the catch. Yeah. What's the catch here, Bran? You're going to get all – you're going to get universal knowledge – all these fantastic powers, and you're just going to be free to go out in the world and do whatever. I mean, that that could be. Maybe. It just doesn't seem like the style of, of people with authority. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is, taking it back to Star Wars, I feel like there might be a Luke on Dagobah moment with Yoda where he realizes, hey, I need to go off and do this thing real quick. Uh, either his friends are in danger sure. or something calls him away Anytime before his visions, knowledge is complete. We know that this world right now, like, think right. of any, any of the horrifying things Bran could be privy to, like, things involving his oh, sister. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, my God, my whole family is in trouble they still. Need me. Yeah, I've got these powers. Yeah, totally. Totally. I could totally see that happening. Like, you only know half of everything. You must stay. And it's right. like, well, try to stop me. You're a fucking <laughs> stuck in a tree. Right. <laughs> Are you going to fireball me? Come yeah, on. right? I'm the chosen one. Come uh-huh. on. Uh, okay, let's move on. Danny's uh, taken to the city of uh, Bacal Widows. I don't know the name of this place. Uh, Vase, uh, Vaz, Jesus. I thought I had the pronunciation in my head, but it's uh, Vaz Dothrak, I think is how you pronounce it. It's their capital city. Huh, okay. Is as a capital city as a wandering tribe of nomads can have, you know? Right. It's where they um, dump off their widows. <laughs> yeah, essentially. The eldest of, of the widows takes the uh takes takes the queen clothes from Daenerys and gives her a, a used potato sack to live <laughs> in for a while. Mm-hmm. And then she delivers this lesson about believing in a false destiny and tells Danny that there will be some kind of council, uh this Kalar Vejvin. <laughs> to however you say it yeah you to determine uh, <laughs> what to do with her now uh, that she's gone out into the world after Caldrogo's death yeah apparently that's 
Like, I would have liked if they could have established maybe a little bit more of the culture here before it's well, just brought up and, in, in the most important of ways. Like, I, I would have liked to understand the ramifications of what's happening here to her yeah. without having to be told that exactly in this scene. Well, and, and I kind of wa- wanted for Danny to be a little bit more defensive of herself. Like, yeah, you were here when I ate that heart. Did you hear about all what all the old crones said about me? Uh-huh. Like, it's not like I, I this wasn't some foolish schoolgirl dream I had. You told me. Right. That my husband and I would have the stallion that mounts the fucking world. What the fuck? And also, no one told me about this whole, uh, you're a widow now, you got to dare all this fuck off and, and, and left me there with all the invalids and cripples and old and, and, and the elderly. Like, mm. I, I felt like Danny, there was some room for Danny to be like, just wait a fucking minute here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, because also the old woman wasn't necessarily cruel to her. She was just no. kind of matter of fact, like you yeah. thought one thing, it's the other. You know, yeah, and, she's and kind, of saying, at him. kind of saying that we all thought that at one point. Sure. Like I was naive and young and I was married to a cow who I thought was going to conquer the world. Sure. Uh, and I was going to be by his side. And now he's dead. But you can also see how events are maneuvering that all the cow, not just one, but all the Kalasars are going to be here meeting about what to do about Danny, which implies that all right. of the Dothraki are going to be in one spot for her to, you know, do fire dragon impressive shit and wow them and, and right. over. I don't know how that's going to happen. You also mm-hmm. got uh, Jorah and uh, uh, Fuckface McGee, Dario, Dario <laughs> out in the wilderness uh, tracking her. There's like a lot of stuff coming to a head, and I guess we'll have to see. Uh, what happens? What is the worst case scenario here? Do they put her to death? Do they sell her off into slavery? Uh, I felt like the worst case scenario was death. And also, I guess I thought that like these widows had a lot more power within their society as far as like you know, yeah, the cows go out there and kick the ass, but like they're the ones that kind of like uh, I I'd always env- envision them kind of being like. Um, Oh, fuck. What were those guys in 300 that uh, King Leonidas climbed the mountain to mm. go talk to? I don't remember the that, name. That, but... that, that leered over the oracles. But I kind of yeah. thought that, like, they have, they have like, this spiritual power to where, like, the cows, you know, they can't just do whatever they want. They can't, like, defy the will of these widows. That was kind of the checks and balances of the society. Yeah. But it seems like that, no, this decision about maybe once she gets into the Dosh uh, Kaleen, uh that uh, the 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 collection of widows then she'll be beyond their touch but it seems like it's up to them to decide since she broke their unwritten rules i don't know right and i didn't know like about the special case thing with daenerys like going out of the world this is is the problem i have with fantasy worlds right like the rules aren't like i don't understand the culture i mean really it's not just fantasy worlds; it's any any literature or or work of fiction where the culture is different from what I'm yeah. familiar with. Yeah. You just don't know. And so I feel like they should have maybe set that up better so I knew the the consequences going in. Well, I'll push back a little bit because I do feel like there's lots of good reasons why. Because Danny was sold into slavery. She was just property. She didn't speak the language. She mm-hmm. kind of she was learning on the job and in the middle of the job she had this curve thrown at her. So it's like it it you know there's good in universe reasons for us to be as confused as Danny is in this situation. Whereas, okay. you know, um, a lot of fantasy works don't have that because it's like, well, you live in this world. Why the fuck don't you know how it works? Sure. Yeah. You know, but she's literally an outsider. So she's a good stand in for the viewer. I don't okay. mind it so much. It's just, 
it's one of those things where it's frustrating to not know. And also to have, like, okay, well, I've got these objections. I'd like to see Danny in her five minutes of screen time level some of these objections at these, like, old ladies. Right. You know, if you're the yeah. fucking mother of dragons and breaker of chains, then, like, why are you just, okay, you got the leather jerkin put upon you. Did you lose your powers? Like, come hit back at him. You know, did you yeah, choke well, down I a mean, horse heart for nothing? Do they just say that? Is that is that something? Is that some bullshit yeah. they say to everybody? Oh yes, yeah, you 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 scarf down a horse heart, lady. You're gonna be the mother of everything the way we were. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's like the Cracker Jack prize. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it could just be a prank they play on all the new uh, new wives of cows. The prophecy is to essentially drink more Ovaltine. I who knows. So we go over to Varys in Marine, and he's got Vala, the prostitute who killed some of these Unsullied uh, for for the uh, Sons of the Harpy yeah. a few episodes back. Uh, she's brought to him, and he tells her that she can either name the people who put her up to it, or he'll have her killed, leaving her young son to fend for himself. But then he offers a third option, Tell him the names, and he'll put her and her son on a boat to Pintos with a big bag of silver. Fat sacks of silver. Yeah. So kind of kind of coming at this from both ends, right? Sure. Uh, laying out all the consequences and then providing his own way out. What's the chances that she makes it to Pintos alive? Uh, probably not great. Yeah, I'm just wondering if that's going to be a plot point that, you know, Varys wants to make people happy, but it's really going to damage his reputation if... Yeah, the sons of the harpy are able to get their hands on her anyway, right? And I, I feel like the interesting thing to do here now that Varys has some form of power mm-hmm. uh, in Marine is to have these two spy networks work against each other mm-hmm. and battle it out. Certainly, uh, in the shadows. So that would make a lot of sense if he if she gets killed. Yeah, he's like, oh well, they must have found out what I wanted. Their spy networks are good. Also, is that the, you know the fact that he implies that he already has birds set up in these other competing slave cities? Uh, Seems like it. You know, Varys is busy in the off seasons uh, yeah. of 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 the last few seasons, and he's been clearly you know the him bringing him bringing Tyrion to Danny wasn't the beginning of his plan. It seems like he was already halfway through. So I'm curious about you know like getting into the next scene what the loyalties of these other little birds are. Okay. Um, well, we're not quite there yet. No, no, no. Tyrion then tries to get Grey Worm and Missandei to converse with him. Comedy ensues, if you want to call it that. Uh, finally, Varys comes in to save the scene with the news <laughs> that the Masters in the other cities in the area are funding the Sons of the Harpies. Uh, and those other cities are Yunkai, Astapor, and Volantis. Uh, Tyrion asks if Varys can get a message to people in those cities, and he says yes. What kind of message are we talking about? Are we talking about, like, hey, we want to sue for peace, or are we talking about a fish in a newspaper with a bulletproof vest kind of message? I, I think... I, I don't know. The wise masters are sleeping with the fishes. I, like, can it's little open. birds, can they just hear whispers, or can those little tiny hands ring necks, or can they drop... They probably just send whispers to the people, to the hands who can. Yeah, I wonder... Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much I don't yet understand what influence or how much influence Varys has over in those other cities. Yeah, uh, and I don't know that there's any way to tell at the yeah. moment. Um, but I don't it, know. it's exciting. Yeah. So this um, drink. The one thing I want to mention on this drinking game thing is he asks them what did they normally talk about, and Grey Worm talks about how he 
reports to Miss Sandy in surprising detail the activities of the uh, you know unsullied patrols and their results and what they find out. Is there any even a shade? Because I got a couple people uh, in e- emailing me this. Is there even a hint that maybe Miss Sandy is part of the conspiracy? I didn't get that. I mean, she's the queen. Because the, the the one maybe. thing that I was going to say to everyone that wrote in was like, well. She's the queen's handmaiden. Everything mm-hmm. that Danny hears, she's going to hear anyway. So, like, whatever Grey Worm is saying as chit chat is going to be a subset of her total knowledge that she gets as the queen's handmaiden. Sure, or yeah. not just handmaiden. She's like her translator, advisor. Like that, that's kind of um, you know giving her short shrift. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think that this is evidence that she's part of the conspiracy. Yeah, I've never really seen her loyalties lie anywhere but with Danny. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I kind of got the impression that the prostitute in the earlier scene was not a former slave; that she was one of the, you know, ruling class. Because else, what was her motivation for turning against Danny? Right, uh, money. You know, like a return to power. She seemed to be very upset about their liberation, which mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, that doesn't fit in with like a slave whore kind of character uh-huh. so miss sandy is a true like you know she you can tell she detests this whole way of life and she's very invested in bring it down it doesn't i don't even know that that would be almost like a broken character moment if she turns out to be one of the sons of the harpies yeah it just wouldn't feel right to me either yeah okay just want to run it by you uh let me throw something out here that i read read on reddit oh uh, jesus that made me recontemplate this uh-huh. scene uh, and I might be stepping on some feedback toes, but uh, what do you what do you make of the idea that Tyrion? This whole discussion, this comedic thing between Tyrion and these two slaves, is to show that Tyrion, like Danny, just didn't understand these lives, these people. Serving up a lot of slices of dry pie here, Jim. Uh, Got to do it. No, I think that's actually that's that's exactly the point. Is that. Um, he is so culturally and linguistically out of his place that none of his, yeah. none of his tricks, like the you know, and 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 Grey Worm and Missandei are giving him nothing. Yeah. Whereas his opponents in Westeros would at least be understanding what he's trying to get at and would be giving him some reaction that he could play with. But this is just like, you know, funniest comedian in the world goes in front of a hall and no one's laughing. Mm-hmm. They're going to start, you know, sweating and flopping and be just completely flustered. So. Maybe that's the point. He's not funny. He's making dickless jokes in front of a guy who's, you know, right. It's 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 that's the point that he's out of his element, and so much so that he might not even be the right guy for this job, and that Varys might be the one who's going to be more capable in this situation. Especially when you you look at last episode where they're walking through the city, and Varys is like, "You look." completely out of place sure. here you don't you don't walk like these people you don't look like them you don't know anything about them uh and i felt like this scene was also uh i, I thought it was good to point out that this scene is also more of that yeah i don't know about that because i do think that there is some some stuff that that Tyrion brings to the table that varus doesn't for example he's just that yeah, you know uh varus is savvy but Tyrion is informed Sure. So yeah. I just think that instead of like he's essentially the most awesome character ever, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone loves him, but that was in Westeros. Now he's in here, and like there's rolling that back a little bit. Yeah. So I actually find the scene like yeah, I, I guess I wasn't supposed to think it's funny because it's Tyrion bombing essentially. Right. Right. 
so Kyburn's gathered all of Varys's little birds in his dungeon, the ones back in King's Landing anyway, and he's giving them candy to co-opt them. Cersei and Jamie show up. Jamie wants vengeance via the mountain. Cersei wants to know the names of the people who are speaking badly about her. Yep. Uh, I love the line from Jamie uh, when when Cersei's going on about, oh, we only have to kill one, and implies that the mountain is going to do this this combat. Uh, and he's like, that's one trial by combat I want to watch. Sure. Because that's just the audience, right? Like, yeah. bring us that trial by combat. Yes. Yes. We want to see the High Sparrow himself go up against the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts twirling the spear like Oberyn and... Uh, <laughs> then you know what's coming. No, no, that's that's interesting. I like the fact that they teased the you know this trial that's coming up, so they haven't forgotten about it. Yes, yeah. we certainly haven't. And uh, yeah, no, it's great. And also, I think we're supposed to question about these children and the, these birds of, of why are their li- loyalties do lie because they do seem like they miss. On the one hand, Kyburn seems like he's super nice. He's he's healing the kids. He's making their potentially abuse. Did you get that subtext? The potentially yeah. abusive father's been made to disappear. Um, People were saying it might be the the penis joke. The the Cersei looked at my dick and licked her lips guy. Oh, from last episode. That's. I mean, that's. I don't know. If there's it's any possible, evidence for but, that, but sure. Right. Um, but no, it's. I, I think it's funny how like I felt like oh this guy's lost his son, but then the reaction between both Kyburn and the kid is like oh well maybe the kid maybe the guy needed to go. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I thought I thought that was great, and I guess we should move on to the small council. Yeah, yeah. The the hand the, that's Kevin, right? Kevin, Kevin Lannister, Lannister. Yep. Meeting with Lady Olena and some other Tyrells uh, to figure out what to do about Marjorie being locked up. Jamie and Cersei come in with the Mountain. They sit down to try to participate in this conversation, but Kevin leads the group, the rest of them out of the room to meet elsewhere. What do you think of? So I watched the subtitles, and there's a parenthetical fart from Pycelle. I is that I the stupid? Is, it is on... that? But you you did you hear it the second time? Nope. How did you miss the fart? Nope. Because I thought it was in the wrong place. I thought it was when he was walking past the mountain. Oh. Uh, no. It's when so I had already missed it when he first double takes that. Oh my god, the mountain's behind me, isn't he? Right. I didn't care for that injection of humor into the proceedings. It just—it's so lowbrow. I and mean, it, it came on the—it came on the heels of Tyrion bombing, which I've kind of come to appreciate more if they're doing what I think people are speculating they're doing there with the right the fish out of water thing. But yeah, that's pretty. I mean, he's just such a Joe character at this point, and like that's the thing. Like, the, I like Lady Olena. Like, the small council needs to get smaller. It needs to be just Kevin and Lady Olena, right? Because Mace or whatever his Mace Ty, he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. You know, uh, and and they need to get Grandmeister. He hasn't been the same since they trimmed his beard. They just need to get yeah. both of them out of there. But we need a new we need a new Grandmeister. Well, I don't know. I'm interested to see what Kevin does about all this because clearly he they are at odds now. Him and Cersei yeah. and Jamie are all working against each other at this point. And the political situation is interesting because they're at an impasse. Like, you know, you can have your undead monster bash your brains in. Or, but you can't make us stay and participate in this farce of a government. Right. Although, I th- will say that I also think what Cersei and Jamie were trying to get the council to deliberate on were things that are yes. important. It's not like... I mean, Cersei's a little bit of like, oh, well, the, my honor's been insulted, blah, 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 and Olena had a sick burn about, you know, you guys getting confused about who's family and who's fucking who and who's the real... But uh-huh. 
I, you know, most, most of those things, especially Jamie, like, what are we going to do about Dorn? This is a fiasco. Yeah, I, I think Jamie has more of a level head about this, honestly. Yeah. Um, despite having watched Marcella die right. Plus, he actually has a right to be there as Lord Commander. Exactly, yeah. That he asserts, but... So, yeah, I, I wonder if he goes to this council and tries to be the mouthpiece for both himself and Cersei, if yeah. they'll accept like, We all him. know Cersei's crazy. Right. On, this is me. Good, he'll play the good cop. <laughs> I, I do what needs to be done. Sometimes it's killing a king. You sometimes, know, sometimes it's, it's fucking, fucking my sister. My sister but <laughs> right. everyone everyone knows that I'm the one that can be trusted. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. That sounds. That sounds a less inspiring campaign slogan. Now that I'm working it through. Fair enough. So we go over to Tommen, who is in the High Sparrows chamber. He or, or wherever he's praying. He's there to make demands, but uh, the Great Sept of Baylor. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Sparrow sits him down like a little boy. Talks about God, atonement, and other such bullshit for the rest of the scene. Which is interesting because so like I wonder now that I've seen this scene. Um, uh, and you know, once again, this is way past where we're at in the books. Uh, Baylor is kind of like the um, Constantine of the, the 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 faith of the seven. Like he's he's the king that got way up in religion, and it was super p- uh, pious. P- How do you say it? Pious, pious, pious. I think yeah. super pious, and he built this like giant sept to honor the seven, and he instituted a lot of reforms uh, to make the church more a vital part of the state. And I wonder if having this meeting in this is supposed to suggest that Tommen might go that route. You know, they've already corrupted yeah, one I mean, Lannister. Uh, the, 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 right. And now they get Lancel, and now they got their clutches in Tommen. Because all the stuff that he's saying works because Tommen loves his mother, mm-hmm. but he also knows that his mom, I mean, there's something off about her. Right. Don't you think? Like, the fact yeah, that, I like, so. he didn't like how she was trying to manipulate him against his wife mm-hmm. and you know he i think he believes a lot of things that um his, his uh, marjorie was saying about cersei so he's got some doubts about her yeah and i thought it was interesting that that the stuff that the sparrow was saying about trying to get the good out of everyone that that's something that he might be on board with like i love my mm-hmm. mom but she could you know she needs jesus essentially right uh and maybe that's what she needs the mother and the father and the warrior and the smith and all the others yeah, I think Tommen is going to. I, I mean, it's a battle over Tommen at this point. Like, can the the guilt and the love from his mother uh, override this idea of Cersei needs to atone and the gods want it and like all of these things? The High Sparrow is is saying, sure. Which one is going to win? And I think who's going to win the I, battle I of Tommen's soul? And does the High it Sparrow might have the better argument here? But right, will it ultimately matter? Like if. If Jamie decides, you know, fuck it, I'm taking the mountain and we're going to kill this guy. Yeah. Uh, it might not matter. Yeah, it's interesting. There's Because they mention uh, his grandfather Tywin's statement about a good king listens to wise counsel, mm-hmm. which is, an, if you recall back, another thing that Tywin said is any man that says, who has to say, I am the king, is no true king. Right. Tommen starts off the confrontation with petulantly saying, I am the king. What does that mean to you? <laughs> yeah. uh, and the fact that the sparrow was able to sit in his presence, like he's just completely grooming him to accept yeah. his power. Uh, that's the thing. Who wins the soul of Tommen and does it matter? Yeah. Because, again, the thing that's like in the back of my mind as I'm watching all this King's Landing shit is this is just... 
this is way this is a few cards under the main event, you know? Right. So at the end, how does any of this matter? How does any of it matter? What is Martin playing at? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it matters more to Cersei than it really matters to anyone else. In right? which case, I don't give a shit because I don't really care. <laughs> Cersei's pretty low on my give a shit about. Sure. I, I mean, indirectly, it would also matter to Jamie. Okay, I guess. now you're uh, going up a few rungs right. of the ladder. I'm trying to get you invested here. <laughs> uh, does it matter in any way to Tyrion? No. No. Shit. No, probably not. Okay. Well, probably I can't go not. there. Uh, I, I completely blank out during this scene. Like, he starts talking about atonement and God, and I'm just like, sure, whatever, dude. I see what you're doing here, and uh-huh. the rest is just static, white right. noise. Like right. I don't, I don't know what he said in this scene. Yeah, and I've watched it three times now. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I couldn't tell you. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like um, I know what he's doing. I just don't know. Yeah. exactly how he did. And Tom, it. and that's the point. Like Tommen's so naive that he doesn't right. even realize he's being manipulated. In fact, likes the sound of a lot of this stuff. Right. You know, yeah. he came in one way and he got sh- turned around. Um, yeah. Okay. I'd like m- to see them help each other bring the goodness out of Cersei, though. <laughs> okay. That's like trying to squeeze the blood out of a stone. Yeah. We go over to Arya doing her training montage. She's getting beat up while she describes who Arya Stark was and her entire life. Uh, at the end, Jacken takes her to the pool, gives her a drink, which returns her sight. Mm-hmm. Uh... I, I thought it was nice that they, they had her get smacked when she said she had four brothers. Sure. She actually only has three. Mm-hmm. And maybe even not three and a half. Who knows? There's Who knows? What do you think about the... There's conspicuous mention of Walder Frey. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's conspicuous mention of clarification about the Hound's status. Right. Uh, I mean, that's... She both wanted and didn't want to kill him. Right. Well, and and... I I don't know. I'm curious about what are all the implications of this. And also the fact that, like I mentioned, the instant cast, that's still something that's even bigger question in my mind. Like, does this point, is this, what, ah, how am I trying to phrase this? What is the faceless man's deal? Are they like human lie detectors? Can they read minds? Is this poison magic? Is this science? Like, right. um, you know, clearly we've seen that fountain kill people, mm-hmm. but have they been putting something in her food that where she's developed an immunity? And even if she's like, ha ha ha, I'm still Arya secretly in my heart. Does the poison kill her for that? Or is the poison going to do what the poison's going to do? And I, you know so much about the faceless men and their procedures that you just don't know. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I get the feeling it's, it's definitely the same fountain that these people who died drank out of. Right. Yes. Oh, um, sure. So... So I, I do feel like it has a different effect depending on your attitude going but in. these guys have the magic faces, and they do sleight of hand, and, like, right. so... Sure, I, that, that's an argument that should absolutely appeal to me. Like, who the fuck knows? It's fantasy magic bullshit. Like, sure. Like, maybe the poison's not anything. in the fountain. Maybe the poison's in the glass, and he just right. left it out this time. Maybe the poison's in your heart. Who knows? It's like Mags Bennett. The poison was in the glass the whole time. <laughs> I... Yeah, I, I I don't know, but I'm very interested in, in what's going on here. And there's someone yeah. there's someone with a bomb ass suggestion about where Arya is going in the feedback that I can't wait to get to. I bet it has something to do with needle. No, you can shove needle right up your ass, man. Because really? it doesn't depend on that. Well, I feel like maybe. that's still outstanding. Like we need sure. to know the status of needle and the status of Arya as as it relates to needle. Right? Okay. Like if they don't touch back on oh for sure needle, I'm needle, gonna cry. Needle will. 
reappear. Okay. Whether it's Jack and like uh, taunting her with it and throwing it in the ocean, or whether she goes back to get it after she decided these guys are full of shit. No, I, I don't know. But yeah, there's no way we never see Needle again. Just does the thing where he holds it too high for her to, <laughs> yeah. to jump and reach. Yeah. Uh, that'll only work for so long, Jagan. Uh, Lord Umber comes to Ramsey, the, the young Lord Umber. Well, what is his John, first perhaps. name? Small John? I is think his name I also think, John? Yeah, I think there's the great and the small John, which okay. is like j- senior, junior. And I'm assuming, I don't think they mentioned it, but I'm assuming this is the small John. Yeah. Uh, he comes to Ramsey to ask for troops to hold off the wildlings who are uh, coming from the north. Ramsey has one condition, pledge your, your banners to House Bolton. Uh, and, you know, essentially kiss my feet. Umber refuses. He's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. But I've got a gift for you instead and it's that one wildling girl whose name i forgot asha asha okay and also more importantly rick on stark yeah uh presents the head of his direwolf shaggy dog yeah proof now i i mean we've talked a lot about how a stark lends legitimacy to house bolton right but that certainly when there's a marriage alliance there of sorts I, it's not exactly an alliance. I, that's the but, thing, though. But but Rickon is the rightful heir to Winterfell. So right. with like, him coming back, like it doesn't lend the kind of legitimacy. It's more like this is a threat to your power. If I was if I yeah. was the kind of guy that would stab you in the back, I would just wait for this guy to be a manful grown and come kick your ass out. Right. That is, I'm. Uh, I don't know. A lot of there's a lot of people disputing the authenticity of this dire wolf. I feel like that is because they're like oh that looks that head looks a little bit small to be a direwolf and i'm like i don't know like i think they'd make a much bigger deal out of that yeah i would i would feel cheated i I would feel bamboozled yeah if it's it's like oh well the head was too small you should have picked up on that no not only that but ramsey like ramsey knows what a fucking wolf looks like and here's the thing we have seen rickon stark we know what he looks like. Just yeah, because yeah, yeah. Ramsey doesn't doesn't mean we have to forget. Right. This is the same kid. So how would the direwolf even be, even if it was fake, the, the, the important part is Rickon's here right. in mortal danger. That's to prove the fact that he's Rickon to someone who doesn't know what Rickon looks like. Well, we know. So we know that it's, that at the very least, they're telling us the truth about who this guy is. Yeah, I mean, I... So that'd be a stupid trick. That would be pointless. I can't... Like, if the Umbers are doing some kind of double cross of the Boltons, I can't see it currently. Okay. Um, Because it seems to me that there'd be a lot of northern northern people upset with the you know de- the with the complete doing away with the Stark household, which is very respected, and everybody loved them, and they've been ruling for... You know, since there were kings of old, um, it seems hard to believe that every, all the younger generation would be like, fuck the Starks. But, man, they're not giving me a lot to go on as far as seeing that they're, which, if, you know, you just could be the normal Martin awfulness of the world. Or it could be right. that he's got something up their sleeve that is going to be really awesome. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know how he's going to use him. Uh, but he seems happy to have to have found another Stark. I do. I, I also... I, I don't know. Is there anything significant in the fact that he is refusing to swear these oaths and the fact that he is being openly disrespectful? I mean... I don't know. Yeah. There could be. This could be a a ploy. 
Um, but but on the other day, they had maybe, easy answers maybe. for that. Like, well, your man was a man of honor and tradition. Your your old man was a man of honor and tradition, and that didn't help Rob Stark, and ultimately didn't help him. Right. So like, we're a new breed. Let's uh, fuck all this kneeling and kissing rings and whatnot. Yeah, I, I mean that's a, that's a fair argument. the The other thing, maybe he knows what kind of man Ramsey is, and uh, certainly if he knows that he killed his father, he thinks that he's he might kill Rick and Stark, right? Which might turn the rest of the North against him and give him give the Umbers the backing they need to roll into Winterfell and take Ramsey out. Sure, uh, and and maybe even help him make a case to the Wildlings when they come by. Hey, we're gonna go do this thing in Winterfell with you. Yeah, who knows. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see where that goes, though, for sure. And finally, we get to John hanging his murderers, including Ollie and Alistair, in front of the rest of the brothers, and then he hands his Lord Commander cloak over to Ed, ending his watch. Mm-hmm. Officially. Uh, I really love this scene. I, I think... There's a lot of nice touches. Yeah. I mean, everything from, like, just going down the line and seeing what these people have to say for themselves. I thought Alistair's... Alistair's speech was great. I mean, I that feels like Alistair to me. Everyone stayed true to character, even yeah. Ollie. Like, Ollie yep. was filled with hate till the end, and for good reason. You know, these yeah. the guy who wrote in to save John last episode is the man who murdered his family. Yeah. Right in front of him. So, like, and he thought him and John were bros about, and were of one thought about the Wildlings, and I, yeah. Um, and also, the I thought the hanging itself was pretty brutal. It was, yeah. And then when they kind of, when John looked back over his shoulder and they're all kind of like the way their eyes happen to be fixed or kind of, I thought, accusatory, uh-huh. uh, you know, something that you'd, you'd take with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, those were a lot of great touches. There were. Yeah, this is a great scene. Uh, and I feel like everybody got justice here mm-hmm. from from John on down the line. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe that's the, the Oathbreaker thing, though, because uh, my my memory in the instant take was that John said my watch has ended right to uh, uh, Ed, the new uh, Lord apparent, uh, Lord uh, Lord Commander apparent. Mm-hmm. But he actually kind of mutters it under his breath as he's walking away. Yeah, which kind of sets up the maybe that there's going to be this Oathbreaker struggle. Also, where the fuck? What do you mean struggle? Like, in well, just his the fact that people will be like, how he feels no, like it? the fact that the Castle Black guys are like, this is bullshit. No, you can't leave. Okay, you know, now you're a traitor. Like, I, I mean, I don't know that if they push that too far, it's going to be really fucking tedious. Yeah, you should just be like, read the fucking words. Like, yeah, they're there. You all the page. said I was dead. I came back to life. Right. The words are what the words are, but yeah, I don't know. But also the fact that you know he he that was kind of his parting words to no one. And also, right. where does he go? Well, I think it's it's more to show his intent. Like, I'm done yeah. with the Night's Watch. Yeah. To, to the audience. like. But he's the best man for the job. Right. I, I think Ed could do a pretty good job. It's mm-hmm. not bad. So what shit is he going to... I mean, that's the the question we're all like, you he, know, what's what shit is he going to shovel next? I think he's going to take Davos, Davos' advice and start shoveling shit. Like, okay. get, get clean up all the shit in Westeros. Mm-hmm. He's going to go south. He's going to reclaim Winterfell or try to, like... Who knows exactly how that's going to go? I mean, but having I, the, I think that's the wildlings. If if this wasn't just a, a, a setup to Tormund's dick joke, having the wildlings yeah. worshiping him as a god probably is not a bad deal. No, not at all. I do. I do feel a little bit like I wanted more to do about this idea that Jon Snow is dead up in the north, and everyone still thinks he's alive. Mm-hmm. Like that might come back in some form, yeah. but it didn't. It certainly didn't hit in the way that I expected it to. Yeah, and the other thing is that we pretty much got conclusive proof that 
you know, John hasn't changed materially. Yeah. Like there might be some subtle changes, but it's almost like any transformative experience. It's, this is not a uniquely transformative experience that he's going to have like a piece of his soul missing. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they could hint to that later on, but maybe he like seems... can't remember his house words or something, like <laughs> or something very specific. Winter is <laughs> frequently delayed. Wasn't that what we said? Winter seems to just really drag its feet. I, I, I maybe it was summer. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but it does seem like he's just John. He's the same yeah. John. Like he's like, what the fuck happened? But that's what anybody's experience would be coming back from the dead. Right. Right. And, and they make a point of. Uh, in, in the inside Game of Thrones thing, uh, the the double D's talk about how this is a completely unique experience, right? No yeah. one in our world has ever experienced being murdered and coming back from the dead. Uh, I I would almost want to argue with that mm-hmm. uh, and say that people do frequently cl- clinically die mm-hmm. and come back. Um, but yeah, it, it's something certainly that he has to he has to work through. Mm-hmm. And how that manifests itself, I don't know, but it'll be interesting, I think. I thought it, visually it was interesting when, you know, he's coming back to life and he's having these, all these shocking revelations. And he looks down and he sees these gaping wounds in his body. Right. Um, what is, what's the implication of that? Because, you know, that's, you know, I, I've seen Beric get his head stove in mm-hmm. and be ran through and he comes right back to life. Like, what's going on biologically there? <laughs> Fucked if I know, man. Uh, magic. I mean, if you still got a hole in your. I mean, does, does he? Is his heart pumping? Is he got a ninety-eight point six body temperature? That's a good question. Maybe that's why his uh, Johnson's so small. He's gone cold. <laughs> it's all shriveled up. No blood flow. Right. No blood flow. Yeah. He's in. He the... should have tried to defend himself a little harder. I mean, like <laughs> it's one of those things. On, like, Foreman, do you want to be the man here? to protest too much? Right. right. Like it's like yeah, whatever. We both we both know what's up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. So to me, like him seeing those wounds is like confirmation. Oh, this wasn't a dream. This wasn't something that happened to me. That you know, did they still me. hurt? I doubt it. They weren't bleeding. I, I mean, that's right. they look like they should, but they weren't bleeding. Yeah, it doesn't know. look like they're going to heal either. I don't think they're going to like scab over and just be scars later. Hmm. I think they're always going to look like that. All right, but who knows? Uh, and that's pretty much it. This week's podcast is sponsored by the good folks at Casper, and I'm here to tell you about their mattresses and how you can get one online. And you're probably saying, Aaron, an online mattress, you say. Uh, how can I possibly judge its quality by not going and, and laying on it for a few seconds at a store? Mm. And I'll say, uh, they actually will drop ship this sucker to you, and they give you 100 days risk-free trial that you can try it out. And if you're not happy, they got a free uh, and, and painless return system. Uh, and these mat, I think you're gonna you're gonna like this mattress because I replaced a fairly new king size bed I had with with one that they gave me as a review, and I still have. And I find that like uh, it's one of these um, you know hybrid mattresses that has a, a blend of latex and memory foam. It's mm-hmm. not as stiff and hard as some of the other uh, memory foam mattresses that I've laid on for a few seconds at a retail establishment. Um, but I find it incredibly comfortable and it was a huge upgrade over my old bed, which again, wasn't exactly a worn out spring shoving me in the skin. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, a couple year old mattress. Uh, and the pricing is really attractive too. This is an obsessively engineered product at a shockingly fair price. $500 for a twin up to 950 for a king size mattress. And we could actually help you out a little on that. 
If you go to casper.com slash bald move and use the promo code bald move during checkout, all one word, you can get 50 bucks off that order. Uh, and again, there's it, it. What what other place can you buy a mattress and try it for up to a hundred nights and be like, meh, it's not for me. It really gives you the confidence uh, to to try that. If you're in the market for a mattress, I definitely urge you to to give it a try. Um, it's so easy to get it. Like I couldn't believe this king size mattress came in like a two by two by three box hmm. that was about fifty sixty pounds. Much easier to lug up my apartment stairs than it was my king size when I first got it. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, people should try it if you're in a ma- uh, market for a mattress, not getting the quality of sleep that you that you're looking for. Go to Casper.com/slash/BaldMove. Enter the promo code BaldMove at checkout to get fifty dollars off. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. Uh, try it out today. This podcast also sponsored by us at baldmove.com. Uh, you mm. can join a club at club.baldmove.com. You know, Jim and I bust our butts to produce these free podcasts uh, day in, day out, uh, year after year, week after week, month after month, second by second, day <laughs> by day. And uh, <laughs> we are entirely supported by the, you know, we have a, a, a few ads here and there, but uh, well over two-thirds of our income comes from listener engagement and support. Uh, you go to club.baldmove.com for as little as a buck a month. You get tons of extra content, video access to our feeds. Like if you're jonesing for the instant take, if you're like all a Twitter uh, and you can't get on Twitter or Facebook's too boring, uh, after the airing we're up with like five or within five or ten minutes airing our instant cast and it's the quickest way you can get that uh, by joining up the club and watching us record it in our studio uh, again tons of extra bonus features for as little as a buck a month and it helps support our independent podcast and and helps us keep uh, turning out the content that you enjoy so much so if you do like us please check out the club club.baldmove.com and thank you in advance uh we have a lot of feedback if you would like to send in feedback, of course, you can always do th- so through Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or get on the forums, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, if you want to talk about spoilers, please just keep it to the per- appropriately marked spoiler threads. Uh, let's start. Uh, first off, Alex K had something that I wondered about the, or I think we both wondered about the the crowns and whether they were like reforged right. or different each time. He sent mm-hmm. in an image of both Robert, uh, Joffrey, and Tommins, and they're, surprise, surprise, all different. Huh. Uh, Robert had like really big, fat, almost elk kind of horns right. on it, and uh, I think um, uh, Joffrey's the most like delicate in, in the way the, the things were working, and, and Tommins got a little bit more of a sturdier base to it, but it does seem like they're just making new ones each, each, each king. Okay. Maybe that's like a tradition that they uh, cast a new crown for every every new king. I guess so. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but no, it's it's visually different for all three of them. Uh, so they just made Tommen a crown that happens to make him look like a pointy-headed doofus. <laughs> it's the only thing I can uh, explain. Uh, Tyson S. said, in season one, Ned Stark says to Robert Baratheon, the narrow sea still lies between us. All fear the Dothraki the day they teach their horses to run on water. If winter's ever going to be a major force in the story, it could show up and freeze the narrow sea and allow the Dothraki horses to walk across it. Hmm. With the Dothraki back in the story and the ships and marine destroyed, if Daenerys is going to take an army to Westeros, they might have to walk. Can you see this happening? Related, has it been established how far south the White Walkers can go? Do they need a winter climate to live? This is something we've talked about in, like, uh, I think we came up in the spoiler cast last week, and but this is not in itself a spoiler. Um, what 
brings the extreme cold weather seems to be the White Walkers themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's that kind of like when they come, like the cold follows them. So, uh, and it's one of those things where you can't just go across the narrow sea and be safe. It's it's like you know this this thing is going to eventually encircle the globe if you don't stop it. So, mm-hmm. as a practical matter, I suppose the sea could freeze, but. The Dothraki don't seem very well equipped to deal with the cold. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, their mankinis are not going to handle freezing cold temperatures very well. No, not at all. Plus, I can just it just it seems like a shit show to have thousands and thousands of screaming Dothraki sprinting across sheets of ice. I, I don't know. Yeah, and you know, we go up to Hardhome, the ice isn't the water isn't frozen into ice there. That's so, true. And there were white walkers everywhere. Yeah. So I don't know how long it would take the ocean to freeze. I don't know what yeah. the time frame. I mean, because like, you're, you're but... talking about like the 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 last like great winter. You know, talked about it like spanned. You know, it was long time. Like even mm-hmm. maybe spanning generations. So if something like that happens, then you know, maybe. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen in a show span. And also, the Dothraki don't. They don't have cold weather gear. Mm-hmm. Um, Chelsea C has a. Th- theory that she's passing on to her friend Bard or Bard Barad Brad uh when Danny goes to Vase Dothrak they think that Drogon will follow at some point he will land and perch atop the twin horse statues as a visual proclamation he's the stallion that mounts the world which is what will fully rally the Dothraki to her cause I don't usually read like the more fan fictiony theories but the fact that they always show that that horse thing pretty prominently and that the Dothraki seem like they're a spiritual, superstitious people. I don't know. Do you think that could do it? If he climbs up there and rides those horses? <laughs> just fucks the shit out of the statues. Like, literally just, like, you know, <laughs> uh, humps them. Can can, can Drogon still look uh, scary and awesome if he's humping, you know, ceramic horses? Sure. Sure, he can. Because the other thing is, like, I mean, Drogon's has to come and set fire to the whole thing because Danny needs these guys. Yeah, I think she's. Gonna, I think she does, especially now that it seems like uh, you. Know, she's got to reconquer the other slave cities too, right? Right. And they just pointed out the fact that she doesn't have enough troops for that. So I don't know. Right. There's got to be something that's more symbolic, spiritual, visual. It's not going to be just Drogon setting fire to everything and freeing her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to be something like that. I thought it was interesting. Rachel S. said, Did you guys notice when Melisandre tries to bring back Jon, she starts with the same ritual that Arya is taught in the House of Black and White. She cleans the body, trims his hair and beard, then washes the hair. The camera angles are the same as well. Sure, Melisandre throws in some hair into the fire and chants a bit, but the basic rituals are the same. Right before the scene, Davos says to Melisandre, I'm not a devout man, obviously. Seven gods, drowned gods, tree gods, it's all the same to me. And yeah, in context, Davos is saying this in a dismissive way, but there may, it may be more true than he realizes. It would be interesting if all the central religions in this universe ended up being derivations of the same ancient religion. Haven't heard anyone talking about this, so I was hoping to get your thoughts. You probably know a thing or two about the religions in this world, yeah? I mean, that's... The Faceless Men assert that to be true, that all the gods are essentially an aspect of the one true god, which is death. And as an atheist, that kind of um, that kind of interests to me that there is some central, like whatever power or magic is in this world, it's not going to be the result of several different gods. It's probably going to be some physical thing that either people are interpreting as a god or maybe it does have an intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I've always liked that idea. 
And, you know, again, if you're uh, a faceless man devotee, that's just, that's just, that's, that's just your religion, man. That's in the Bible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know what this means for the story, though. Like, is this going to be like the, 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 the faith of the seven kind of like been the ascendant religion, except for the North in all of Westeros? Is this going to be the Lord of the light? Uh, are we seeing like a religious, uh, uh, the revolution as well here. It could be, yeah. That they sweep out the seven and the, the northern gods and replace it with the one true. I don't know. What does that even mean in this world? Brandon T said, you mentioned that Brienne may, have, may not... Oh, excuse me. Let me start over. You mentioned that Brienne may not have known who the Hound was when we were trying to explain why she wouldn't tell Arya or Sansa about you know who Arya was last seen with. But I'm pretty certain that Pod mentioned that he was Sandor before the fight. And you are correct. Podrick, uh, he who knows all banners and all customs, was able to quickly spot mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the former Kingsguard and inform Brienne of that. So I guess the question's still on the table. Why wouldn't Brienne why was Brienne not telling Sansa the whole truth about how she left things with Arya? She doesn't want to That's worry. That's a good her? question. I, I don't know because clearly they weren't fighting each other, right? Like Arya and the Hound were seemingly on decent terms. But on the other hand, it could be that Brienne, I, I threw this guy's ass off a cliff. Uh-huh. I'm pretty like I'm pretty sure he maybe she just assumed he was dead and why would you like I do? <laughs> yeah, why would you why would you uh add extra irrelevant information when this was clearly like them just kind of exchanging data? Yeah. You know, this was not like a, a comprehensive debriefing. This is, hey, we're taking the time to set up, you know, to warm ourselves before we keep marching. I don't know. I, I don't have the answer, but it's uh, it certainly seems like it's an open question to some extent. Joe from Maine, just finishing the season six, episode two, uh, before the third episode, and I had a thought. Could the Red Woman's prophecies or spells not come to fruition until the previous one has been completed? She had her false visions last season with Stannis, but maybe that's because the leech burning for Joffrey, Rob, and Balon hadn't been completed. Then once Balon dies, she unknowingly is back to her true self. So, if you recall, uh, she used the leeches that she put on Gendry's chest as a way to throw them on the fire, and then she named each false... Well, I think Stannis named each false king. Uh, essentially, that there's some kind of loophole that you can't have true prophecies or other spells until the previous one is complete in which case okay. i'd be like well why is a red god sitting with a thumb up his ass waiting for balon to die mm-hmm. like <laughs> you know if this is a spell you would want it to work with like some kind of efficacy efficacy not like oh two years later it finally got around to completing that's my objection to that what do you well think? i mean i think the show has told us why this worked in this moment uh because like Boros or Thoros or whatever his name is, Amir, mm-hmm. uh, the the International Space Station guy, uh, he <laughs> was at his low point, right? Yeah. And like, like he had every, had everything stripped away. He's full of mold. He's just <laughs> lost attitude control. Uh, right. Just Set fire to the to cockpit. Maintain. Yeah, yeah. It was all bad. Yep. Uh, the habitat ring was gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really low point. It was. It was the lowest of points. And Starting the same, to experience atmosphere and drag, he got so low. <laughs> the same with Melisandre uh, in this moment. She had feared that all of her her predictions were false and yeah. that she had uh, no information that anybody else didn't have. And it was like, that's the thing that did it. And I feel like if the show were trying to say something else, 
about this, like give us a hint as to why the the prophecies would work in certain instances, they would tell us. And I, I feel like they did mm-hmm. in, in saying that she was real low. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's mostly right. And as he uh, mentions in his emails, like it's too much of a coincidence for me, but it could just be a coincidence. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, life's full of them. Yeah. Like Danny just happens to be in the middle of the Dothraki capital when they're all going to come up for the Super Bowl. Like <laughs> working out nicely if she's wanting to make off with a lot of Dothraki writers. Right. Uh, Dominic P says, I don't buy for a second that the situation with the Umbers and the Boltons is not a ruse. The wilding woman Asha would have killed herself before letting her and Rickon be caught. You don't waltz in as a lord saying your dad was a cunt and then say here's a gift. Also, that didn't look like a direwolf head to me. I have to stop you there, Dominic, because unfortunately <laughs> got served a slice of very, very dry pie. Mm-hmm. No amount of wine is going to wash it down, and uh, just going to have to move on. There's, yeah, I mean, we got nothing more to say about that, right? Yeah, I mean, it could certainly be a ploy. Yeah, I, I, I will say that if if it turns out that that's a small dire uh, wolf head, I kind of pissed. Yeah, that's that's dirty pool. That's absurd. Yeah, um, Rick S. An idea for Arya's plot. John is now an obvious target for the faceless men. They make a big deal out of needing to make sure death gets his due, so John being resurrected is an absolute affront to that. Huh. I think that once Arya is truly no one, they're going to send her to correct this imbalance, which leads to her settling the internal conflict if she is no one for Arya. All right. Or no one or Arya. I like it. That's an awesome idea. Mm-hmm. And that's just the kind of thing that would make her be like, fuck this bullshit. I think so. Yeah. But it also, like, I, in fact, I don't, I am almost taking this as canon because, yeah, someone coming back from the dead would certainly piss these guys off. Yep. So, I don't know. You might be onto something there, Rick. Miguel C. said, there's a small, perhaps nitpicky question I have. They referred to the undead mountain as Sir Gregor and straight up as Clegane. Mm-hmm. I thought they were being more subtle about it and calling him Robert Strong. Did I miss something? Nope. They're the same guy. I Well, no, but I mean, the fact that they're abandoning the ruse that this is Sir Robert the Strong. They, well, it's with Kyburn, right? Like, Kyburn fucking knows. He's the guy who brought him but back. But even the so... small council is saying, like, this business with them bringing back Clegane, we didn't oh, sanction right. this experience and it's an abomination. Right, right. That's true. Like, in the epilogue to Dance of the Dragons, um, they kind of show that there's been whispers of the abomination. And, like, because people aren't stupid. Right. He's the biggest man in Westeros. Like, yeah. You're going to know. Yeah. And he happens to have a full face mask that no one can see into. And it, yeah. No, I, I actually like it this way because it actually makes a small council and people seem the intelligent, cunning people that we, well, I don't know about Fartmeister Picel, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it gives them it gives them a good, solid head on their shoulders. Yeah. Unlike Gregor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's probably got some hollow head on his shoulders. Um, but no, I don't think you've missed anything. They're just like, there's no need to have this ruse with, with the people that are in the small council. Um, Robert R regarding Tyrion being a dick. I honestly read everything Tyrion is doing is being required to write dry pie. We, we completely did Jim completely, uh, served you a big old slice of it. Taste it. Yep. Um, now the, uh, I'm actually going to let him wash it down for some wine because he's ends it up with saying that this is going to set up a central conflict. Where um, Danny will be faced with following Tyrion's advice or siding with longtime loyalists who loyalists loyalists who don't think highly of Tyrion and his situation at some point. Are they setting something to where Tyrion's going to be like, "Look, you got to trust me. This is the thing to do." And Missandei and Grey Worm is like, you know, it's Varys. 
and Tyrion versus Missandei and Grey Worm. They've had her back forever, but they're not also... I don't think they're the most strategic thinkers. Right. Um, is there going to be something where Danny's going to have to make a choice between the, her, her longtime loyalist and the cunning newcomers? Could be, yeah. I think that's an interesting conflict. It is, and I don't think she entirely trusts Tyrion yet, mm. right? I mean, oh, God, she no. has plenty of reasons not to, so... Uh, I think there could be a little bit of doubt about what Tyrion's telling her. And Although, that, that could play into it, too. I mean, I don't know. She come, like Assuming she comes back and Tyrion and Varys have kind of righted the ship of state. <laughs> yeah. If you were yeah. waiting to betray her, the time when she's out of the city and has no power would be the perfect time to spring your trap, you know? What if they don't want to relinquish power once she gets back? Ooh. <laughs> um, she has to drag it up or something. I don't. Do you see Tyrion? I don't doing see that? it. No, I don't see it happening. I'm because just he just doesn't have the claim, you know. Right. Like he could be the he can be the power behind the power, but he can't be the power. Yeah. They they still are keeping up this ruse that Daenerys sure. is on vacation, sleeping. Like, yeah. Who knows where she is? But she'll be back. And don't think about it. Uh, Brent J. Am I the only one that's wondering when the bomb is going to drop about Shireen? Davos apparently still doesn't know, and I'm really curious about how it will affect him. Your thoughts. So this is a fact that Davos doesn't necessarily know that Melisandre was complicit in her death. I think right. the assumption is that Shireen got killed with the rest of the camp mm-hmm. and that Melisandre was the lone survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, do you think that at this point... Uh, I, I, I don't know. Because it seems like that would bother him. But also maybe he knows it already. Yeah, I mean, it would bother him. How much would it bother him? He's very pragmatic, this guy. What does it change? Yeah. Because she would have been killed anyway. Right. Right? I mean, unless she would have just been taken by Ramsey, and Mm -hmm. maybe that's even worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Of uh, Of what importance is it at this point to Davos? I know he would not like it, certainly, but would he do anything about it? I don't. Melisandre seems like her character is kind of spinning her wheels. Like her sole purpose in life was to bring Jon Snow back from the dead. Yeah. So I could totally see him just going berserk and killing her because what else? What does she do from here on out? Yeah, maybe so. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know because he's also the one defining trait about him seems like he's very pragmatic and he yeah. wants what to do what's best by the realm. And if what's best by the realm is not pursue his petty revenge against Melisandre. I mean, he already blames her for the death of his sons. And he wanted to have her killed yeah. a while back. He asked he's Stannis kinda... to do it, but Stannis wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it'd make him more sad and resigned, but I don't necessarily make it, think it would send him to a bloodthirsty rage. <laughs> but I, I could totally see it that way, too. Maybe she taught him to read. She taught him to read. Yes. Does that she mean nothing to you? Of... What do you call that? The opposite of... Not being literacy. Literacy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're illiterate. That's pop- not a good word to struggle to find. <laughs> illiterate co host is having some trouble with his uh... Maybe the only worst word would be vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a what? It's a V it's a... Yeah, it's something about the words. I don't know. Uh <laughs> words are wind. Rob from San Jose. Uh, has the problems. So Jon Snow was stabbed by six, including Ollie, but they only hold, hold, uh, they only hung four. Even if you assume the archer killed by one one was number five, yeah. someone has escaped. Yeah. Um, and also, if you look at the the scene on film, there's like another half dozen people kind of watching. Right. Mm-hmm. Is this significant? 
Is there going to be some kind of anti-John faction within Castle Black, or did his resurrection sweep all that under the rug? The only way that that might matter is if they come after Ed. Like, I don't think John's hanging around Castle Black for hmm. for any longer than he needs to. Okay. He's going to grab a canteen and go. So how, on a scale of one to fuck this shit, are you, how frustrated are you going to be if John leaves... And and literally, Sansa shows up in the next episode, and like, where's my brother at? Fairly frustrated. I mean, it's it's a series of near misses. Yeah, across the board for the Starks. Sure. So, I don't know. I mean, I I guess I'm not as fed up with it as a lot of people are because I was reading a lot on that. Mm. But it'll feel a little, little cheap. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I it is interesting that they only hung the the four. Yeah. Um, because that is a little bit of a plot hole. Why wouldn't John want to hang everyone that murdered him? Right, and that was my first thought when he had four up there. I'm like, do you think I there were a lot? Do you more. think they lost track? The like, the people like, making the show, yeah, or like that's John? that's the thing that bothers me. That if they do this and don't address it, it's a continuity error. Yeah, and for sure. I don't like easily. I you know, it's like I'm not a book purist, but if you're telling me a story, I do expect you to tell it fucking right yeah and and a little detail like that like having six guys stab and four guys swing bothers me right because it implies that there's a certain lack of care and consideration it's not i'm not adapting a book detail now i'm not getting the damn details straight of my own story i don't like that right i don't like that I or hope it implies they... that maybe john either didn't know the other people exactly but but he knew it was ollie so like in that final stab sure in that moment he was clear-headed enough to to realize who was stabbing him. So, I, yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. I kind I, of I hope they address it. Yeah. Um, but I, if they don't, I guess this is going to be one of the disappointments of the show. Uh, he also, Rob from San Jose, wants to know if he's the only one thinking that Varys is going to dump the two bodies overboard, recover the silver after the woman was uh, having fled because she squealed. Uh, so we talked about whether she'll die, like, just because of Sons of Harpies. What about Varys doing it? Maybe, maybe. That's bad spycraft. Yeah, I mean, you don't want word getting out about that. Yeah. I mean, that's like, because the only thing you have as a spy master is your word. Like, if you tell your, you know, the people you're handling one thing and you don't do right by them, then that word, if it gets out, then you're you're screwed. Because otherwise, you know, spies are dirty, skulking, underhanded creatures. They're all about betrayals. Yeah, but you just can't. Be, you, if they ever think that the, they, the the people that you're trying to deal with have to believe that the one person that you won't betray is them, because if not, why the hell would they work with you? Maybe he'll he'll bring her back to Marine and start going to est meetings with her, <laughs> like a certain spy I know. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. No, I. To me, that's a Joffrey or Ramsey play. That's not a savvy play. So we'll yeah. see. She, she might yeah. very well die, but I don't think it's going to be by his hand. Okay. Uh, Julia from Sweden. I think that what Jacken did to Arya was much more of a mind game than something that would actually kill her. He said that if a girl really is no one, that she would have nothing to fear from drinking it. If she doesn't drink it, it's clear that she really was no one. But if she drinks it, he knows that she really believes that she is. I think that the potion she drank would have given her sight back no matter what. Okay. So that's more of like, this isn't a metaphysical test. This is just 
an antidote that's being administered somehow. So do they fill up the entire fucking pool? It might just be water. You're right. It might just be water and the and cup has the poison. In the glass maybe, or the yeah. feelings in the glass. Or I, I, sure. I, I, I don't know, but I think that she's kind of onto something here. Uh, because who drinks the poison and says, Muhahaha, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating the, the god of death as they're chugging this poison. And even if you are thinking that, I think that that would fuck to you to the extent that, like, well, shit, maybe I am no one because this didn't kill me. Like, mm, it, there's a yeah. lot of different ways it can go. Uh, let's see. Matt S. Does John saying he experienced nothing confirm that he didn't warg the ghost? Matt S. with the big questions. We, oh! I, right? Okay. That's pretty perceptive because we talked a great length about how the way they brought back John leaves rooms for many, many interpretations. But mm-hmm. him saying, what do you remember while you were dead? Nothing. Not, well, I sniffed myself. I licked myself. Right. I got hungry when... Saw my own body on a table. Yeah, that is pretty conclusive proof that he didn't warg in the ghost. Right. As long as you believe John is being truthful here. And I have which seen I no do. reason why he would lie in this particular situation. Yeah. With the shock of him being dead and... Yeah, no, so like okay. R.I.P. Ghost as refrigerator for John's consciousness. I think so. I think it's official. Yep. Nice catch, man. Yeah. Daniel S. says, on your instant take, you were asking about other instances besides Jon Snow of characters breaking oaths. I think an argument can be made that virtually every episode segment explored some character violating some oath or obligation. Okay, run them down and justify it. Here we go. The Boltons broke their oath through the Starks. Daenerys violated her obligation as a Khaleesi widow to live amongst other widows. The flashback showed a young Ned Stark mopping up the murder of the Mad King, which presumably violated Ned's oath to his king. Uh, plus his oath not to stab fuckers in the back. Samuel broke his promise to his wilding girlfriend that they would always stay together. As he told her on the ship, he's going to drop her off with his family instead. Even the scene with Arya Stark, there's still a hint that she's totally not on board with the Faceless Man and may return to her old identity one day if given the chance, particularly if she's renewed or reunited with their siblings, alluding to Needle, etc. Okay. From eh, a certain Obi-Wan Kenobi point of view, everyone's breaking their oaths. Right. Like, I have no idea what that oath about Ned and his king is. No fucking clue. Like, why would killing some dudes... Well, Ned at that point would be the Warden of the North, so he swore to uphold the King's Law and his rule. So by the the act of rebellion, you've broken your oaths of fealty to the Crown. What rebellion is he participating in? I don't... I don't get what's going on here. The ro- well enough. The, the, so the Mad King was the Mad King, and he did a lot of bad things, and Ned and Robert uh, Baratheon rebelled against him. That's This is the okay. like the final battle in this war. If if you didn't, if, oh okay, gotcha. Yeah, I didn't know it was the same the same moment in time here. No, no. So like, what happened is uh, just to give everyone a rundown is, um, you know, as Littlefinger told us last year, Lyanna Stark um, got crowned by Rhaegar Targaryen, the Queen of Love and Beauty, at this ter- tournament at Harrenhal, which is very shocking since he had a wife that he rode right past to to give her this honor right shortly afterwards she he um apparently abducted liana and drug her off to this tower um ned's father and eldest brother brandon ricken went to the mad king to demand justice mad king set them on fire uh, this was a further shock to the sensibilities, and John Arryn, the uh, the the uh, warden of the East or the warden of the Vale, whatever, um, where um, uh, took his banners and Rob uh, Baratheon and uh, 
uh, Ned Stark, and they took all their bannermen and went to war. And okay. that uh, ultimately led to reg- uh, uh, Jamie killing the, the Mad King right before uh, his father invaded King's Landing. It also led to Rhaegar Targaryen being killed on the Trident, which is the big river that, cut, that cuts through Westeros. Hmm. Um, and which led to the central question of why were the King's guard down guarding this tower instead of being with their prince or the king, which they enigmatically answered, this is where the, our prince wanted us. Okay. Clearly, is this there... is not a spoiler that there's more to come with this whole Tower of Joy. Right, uh, right. And, and also, you know, I don't know. I kind of have an idea, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so the oath that he took would have been loyalty to the king, the Targaryen king. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and he broke that by rebelling with sure. with Robert. Yeah. All right, gotcha. Because three hundred years ago, when the Targaryens, all, they used to be seven. They call it the Seven Kingdoms because they used to have seven kings that would you know go to war with each other. But the mm-hmm. Targaryens came and conquered them all, and as a, right. well, except for Dorne, they're the exception. Uh, except uh, and and everyone had to bow had to bend the knee to the, the rightful. And then, then all the kings, the old kings got converted into wardens. Okay. They're like these, the administrators that all paid tribute to the king. Mm-hmm. All right. Hopefully that's not too confusing. We can talk more about it in the spoiler section. If y'all like, which will be a lively and eventful one this week, Sam L from DC. What was up with Ned's sword outside the tower of joy? There's no way that was ice to start family. Great sword. No in the books in the show. Ice is this enormous two handed sword. Much bigger than Longclaw, but outside of Tower of Joy, young Ned was swinging this little thing around one-handed like it was a toy. Yeah, Ned's Ned's not rocking ice in those scenes. I mean, Ned doesn't rock ice for the most part. He he has this longsword, right? Not yeah, not like this great sword. Yeah, he didn't ride to King's Landing with right. With the, he whips that out to cut off heads. That's a ceremonial a cere- right. family mm-hmm. heirloom. It's not like a battle sword. Now. Yeah. There is a he ton. does have the same longsword in those young Ned scenes as yes. he has in old Ned. Very from nice season prop, one. Very nice prop consistency, which makes yeah. me which makes me crazy that there's not <laughs> more guys swinging from the gallows. Yeah. Um. But there are a ton of uh, you know Renaissance fair types that will tell you that in fact great swords are perfectly valuable. Uh, you know, uh, viable weapons on the battlefield. Whatever. Ned what? disagrees. In fact, George Martin's commented on the fact that no, that's just a ceremonial blade. They wouldn't whip it out for battle. So yeah. you might be right. On the other hand, unless you're the mountain, it seems too heavy. Sure, sure. It seems too unwieldy. Again, there's lots of guys be like, "Nah, man, I fought with a 50 pound blade on the lawns of <laughs> you know Rin." I'm not disparaging right, right. because of that, and I don't know. I'm not a medieval combat expert. I'm just saying that both Martin and Ned Stark disagree with you. So and I doubt in this they were instance, fighting Sir Arthur Dane. Like you gotta, yeah. He might cut you to ribbons if you got this. You know, like yeah, maybe it's I, yeah. again. I Dario knows why you don't fight with a great sword. Sure, he knows. Sure, and again, it's it's not a it's not a it's not an interesting argument for me because. Both the guy who created the series and the yeah. in-universe guy himself think that it's not the way to go. So right. that's good enough for me. Uh, Eric B. said, hey, guys, quick question. When John came out to meet the man in the Night's Watch after his resurrection, uh, the men of the Night's Watch, rather, Tormund approached John, talked about his short claw. Then John moved past Tormund and on to Ed, where the two embraced. To me, it seemed like John was cold to Tormund. 
Hmm. Um, at least unfamiliar with him, especially since as John walked past Tormund towards Ed, they t- the look on Tormund's face seemed like he was taken aback by John's indifference, especially considering all they had been through together, and especially how warm he was with Ed. Did John just snub Tormund? Now, my first thought was, what the fuck? Get out of here. But then I got like five more emails asserting the same thing. I, I did not see any of that. So there's a dick joke right up front. About how right. tiny his pecker is, he probably didn't take too kindly to that. Although well, I mean, it's a, he knew it's, it was a joke. It's a ball busting. It right, it is. But he's still in shock, right? Like he's very much still in shock. And I didn't feel like he popped out of it until he he hugged sure. Ed, and Ed was like, "Are you you? Like your eyes haven't changed? Sure. Uh, how do I know you're still there?" And then he had like this moment where he chuckled. Yeah. And 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 he kind of snapped out of his shock a little bit. You know, if Ed starts with the ball busting, maybe they're you know they don't engage on that level but i thought it's like you know they've both been through some shit mm-hmm. you know but john has been through i mean they they came they became black brothers together i think there's in, right. implied and i don't know if the show has done a great job of showing how close john was to his friends but to me it seemed like that he would be more affectionate in a masculine way uh with right. ed, that with ed than he would with Tormund. like they just have a different relationship sure uh, Tormund respects them and, and they have an admiration, but I don't think there's love there Yeah, in the same way that like, you know, him and Ed are brothers in a kind of fraternal bond. You should see how he thanked one, one, <laughs> uh, it didn't involve short claw. Uh, let's continue. Daniel S says, I'm not sure. I'm sure this is not the only person whose mind has crossed, but do you think there's more to when Jon Snow took off his Lord commander cloak and gave it to uh, Dolores Ed, or Dolores Ed. More to it? I think he was handing control over to Ed, but I think that, uh, but everyone else there was wearing a heavy winter coat, and yet John walked out wearing just his normal clothes, as though maybe he doesn't feel the cold anymore. Okay. It could be a coinky dink, but I, it would also be cool if this was some remnant of coming back from the dead, or maybe he's now more like Melisandre and doesn't feel the need uh, for a coat because he doesn't feel the cold. Right. I could see that. Yeah. No, I mean, I didn't catch that, but it would be kind of cool that that would be a little bit of a change to John. that maybe even that what little remained of her power, her Lord of the Light power, has passed to John. Of course, she just hmm. didn't instantly turn into an old woman again. Right. And that's the other thing. That's there's still that, there, that's another thing floating out in the back of my head, that there's still something to that reveal. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, I guess aside I, from just how low yeah, that's she is. the thing. Like it's it still works. That is just like just the 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 plain text reading of it. But I yeah. I guess I'm looking for something else too. Why reveal that if because uh, it's not like Carice is a terrible actress that can't portray a person who's beat down and who's under a bunch of heavy blankets. There's, I think there's more to it. But I mm-hmm. guess I wouldn't be outraged if there isn't. Megan H. said, was it just me, or did the Waif have a reaction when Arya mentioned Walter Frey's name? Perhaps a connection there that could somehow maybe help Arya back into the game in Westeros, though I suppose that would be very unknown of her, uh, of the Waif, showing, betraying this reaction. Both of these emails last might be into the, in the department, like the Tormund being snubbed, and the John no coat, and the Waif's reaction. These might all be from the department of reading too much into it, but yeah, again, I did not I don't know, because I actually watched this again, and there's something, but it also seems like the Waif just kind of likes fucking with Arya, so that might just be part of her portrayal. I don't know. It's more like, oh, Walder Frey, eh? Oh, we got designs for him. I I don't know. That wasn't in my subtitles. 
Yeah. Uh, well, she certainly got a reaction when she bashed her with the staff. I think it's because you you heard Arya's fart in that scene, right? I did, yeah. I mean, that was the reaction just, right there. Uh, three of them, right? Uh, Sequential, just real. Quick successions, just like, uh-huh. uh, you know, that means that the others are coming, I think. <laughs> <laughs> One fart when the brothers are coming back. Right? Two farts if it's the wildlings. And three, <laughs> haven't heard those farts in some time. Uh, Steve from Florida says, why do you think we haven't seen Drogon? If his quote-unquote mother has been kidnapped and forced to march, is the dragon just biding its time until there are less Dothraki around for her to swoop on? Uh, for her her to swoop in on? Uh, he didn't seem to mind swooping into Marine's fighting pits to save her. Is he hibernating or what? I really don't know. No I, one knows. He's just doing his own thing, maybe. Tyrion introduced this idea that the mind of a dragon is this intelligent, inscrutable thing, so he could have some cunning. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's waiting for an awesome perch like the two horses to get his get his uh, groove on. I don't uh-huh. know. Uh, maybe she has to consciously call him. Or there's some speculation in the um, from from the books that the reason Drogon showed up at the fighting pit is not because he had loyalty for Danny, but like, hey, there's fire and blood. I'm a dragon. I like that kind of shit. It's time to, for me to get my eat on. Could be. Uh, so I don't know. We'll we'll find out. Yeah, I think that idea of how much control she actually has over these dragons is still very much in the air. Yes. Matt B. said, I was really enjoying Bran's vision. Uh, you wanting to make a dragon nope. in the air joke. Nope. Yeah, you were. Nope. I, yeah, I, it was I right there. You saw it? Was it was right there. <laughs> it was. I'm sorry. <laughs> Speaking of I apologize for the reactions. joke I didn't make. <laughs> well, you missed 90% of the jokes you don't make, John. That's true. John? Jim? John? Just Jim change my name to John. John, John Jones. Jesus. Uh, Matt B. says, I was really enjoying Bran's vision up until the moment when he yelled at Ned Stark and he turned around as if he heard something. This moment sent a chill down my spine and instilled terror into my heart. I am terrified at the prospect of the introduction of time travel into Game of Thrones. Right. The show is already complicated enough and has enough issues with time, such as Gilly's never-aging baby as it is. Time travel is really difficult to execute well and really easy to mess up in television and cinema. If Bran is able to go back in time and alter the path of the future, I will lose my shit. And 20 years from now, the idiom Jump the Shark will be replaced with Talk to Ned. Is he right to have this fear that there could be some uh, paradoxes and time travel and weird shit? Absolutely. Time travel is... If you are just making a time travel show... That's hard enough to do when you've got all this other shit in there. Like, and, and also, the thing I don't like about it, and I wouldn't like about it if they introduce time travel mm-hmm. and, and affecting the past to, yeah. to affect the outcome of the future, uh, I wouldn't like how irrelevant it makes everything else. Because ultimately, why show me six seasons of something if Bran is just going to change it all in a single vision? Hmm. That's a good point, because in time travel fiction, like the Terminator and whatnot, that's kind of the point. That's the central struggle. Right. This, it's like, this is not a story about time travel. If you introduce right. time travel, it kind of makes everything else be like, well... Especially this late. Yeah, like, Bran could just think hard enough and make things different. Exactly. It, it makes all the other struggles irrelevant. Having said that, science fiction and time travel is kind of my jam. So if it's done really well and subtly with some maybe like the fact that like the, you know, the three eyed raven asserts that, you know, the history has been written. You can't like maybe Bran thinks he can do it, but that's a false promise that ends up that even if he changed something, it, you know, time zero keeps everything on track. And it's, you know, and this could be his his Luke in the swamps moment 
uh, right. where he says, I need to change this. this failure, and he tries, yeah. and he goes off the path to try to change it, but he can't. Yeah. And so, you know, his leaving, you know, his quest is kind of futile. Yeah. My God, know. Brand's already Maybe. lost the use of both of his legs. He's going to get his arm chopped off and come back to the... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I think you're right. I think you're right to have your guard up, but let's let's just see. Let's see how they do it. Uh, some dragon lady, some dragon lady wrote in and said, "Could Arya be no one, and yet no one knows what happened to her direwolf? Could a direwolf come across her and remind her?" This is a good hmm. question. What the fuck is going on with Nymeria, which is the wolf of Arya that was dismissed uh, early on in season one after she was blamed for. Uh, well, it wasn't she was blamed. Lady, Lady Sansa's direwolf took the blame for Nymeria's crime, right? And she's been at la- she's been at large, just hanging around Westeros. We think no idea. Uh that would be interesting yeah. if somehow this wolf reminds her of her true nature. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be kind of cool. It comes back with needle in its mouth. <laughs> says, it's, "Play with it's, me." It's, it's it's it swam across. It's like this inspirational <laughs> story you're going to see on Facebook. She swam across <laughs> right. the Homeward narrow channel. Bound. She she down did a dug up needle, and then she swam back with a clutch in her mouth the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Homeward. <laughs> The dire wolf story. Yep. Uh, that's not all the email, but it's all the email I could read on the non-spoiler section. We'll have okay. uh, a super, another supersized uh, uh, spoiler edition that's going to come out Friday. So if you still have some thoughts or some follow-on clarifications you want to make at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com, I'll try my best to get it all in. Uh, you can also discuss it on forums at forums.baldmove.com. That's it for this week. We'll be next. Uh, we'll be back uh, just five short days for the the instant instant take podcast on Sunday. Yeah, Until or if then. you're into spoilers, you know Friday. Yeah, everybody, everybody that's not afraid of spoilers, showing up on Friday. It's a good time. Yep, it's a crazy trip. So yeah, we will see you then. Bye bye.